and thank you all for joining us on the Kansas Canopy podcast. My name is Ariel Whiteley-Knoll. I am the Communications Coordinator for the Kansas Forest Service. This is Season 4, Episode 1, and today we are going to be talking about young tree pruning. On the podcast with me today, I have Matt Norville, who is our Community Forestry Program Coordinator. Matt, thank you so much for being on with me today. Thanks for having me. So to start, could you just talk a little bit about what you do as the Community Forestry Program Coordinator at Kansas Forest Service? So Community Forestry is one of the multiple programs we deliver through the Kansas Forest Service. Our program is focused on supporting municipalities through training, funding, providing technical expertise to municipalities and arborists all across Kansas. Uh, and I try to support that by, A, trying to bring as much of our federal tax dollars back to the state through federal grants that we pass on through two communities so they can remove, prune, plant trees all across publicly accessible areas such as parks and right-of-ways. I also manage the team of four district foresters all across the state that actually do the work where I'm all behind the desk and uh, trying to come up with bigger long-term plans. I also uh, try to assist our technical team that go out and do community tree inventories by directing what communities to go to, building up the database for them to use that then the district foresters will take the data from and provide management recommendations, and then a lot of other mundane topics or activities such as federal reporting. So we got to say what we actually use the money for and provide some numbers back to D.C. and the United States Forest Service. Very, very important work for our communities in Kansas. So today when we're talking about young tree pruning, I first just want to give everybody an idea. What are we talking about when we say young tree? Yeah, so when we talk about young trees, usually we're talking about a ball and burlap or container grown tree that is usually one and a half to three inches in caliper. Uh, caliper is where the, the sides of the tree where the trunk meets the soil. Uh, and you can prune young trees as soon as you're planting them, basically, depending on what that tree looks like. I, and not even all above ground pruning. If you're doing ball and burlap or container grown and you pull it out of the container and it's looking like it has girdling roots or roots that are going back into where the trunk is, uh, you know, ball full of roots where you don't see the ends of them, I would even prune the root ball at that point uh, using a handsaw like a silky, and kind of cubing it off or shaving it off, just, you know, half an inch, inch to try to promote new growth that goes outside the root ball. Uh, other reasons to prune trees as soon as you plant them is if they have glaring defects, such as broken tops, broken branches, even co-dominant stems, uh, you do want to be aware not to prune too much, uh, because if you prune too much of the above ground, that's where, you know, the power plant of the tree is, the, the leaves that do photosynthesis and produce energy and food for the tree. 
I'm glad that you mentioned root pruning because I feel like that's something that not enough people recognize. They they purchase a tree and they put it in the ground. So if a root ball is circling, which we see a lot, especially if a tree has been in a container for a long time, what kind of problems could that cause the tree years down the line if it's not addressed at the time of planting? Yeah, I mean, roots are really important for a tree. Uh, when we get called out to diagnose sick trees, it's not as straightforward as one who may not be experienced in forestry or in trees in our culture can tell uh, because half the tree is actually beneath the ground. So there's a lot of things going on that we can't see and we use signs or background history of the site to diagnose. Uh, one of the big problems we see 20, 30, 50 years after a tree's planted is something called girdling roots. And that is where the roots will go right up against the trunk, either completely around them or halfway around them, and basically preventing the trunk from expanding, getting that secondary growth that trees like, and cutting into the phloem and the cambium and basically preventing the tree from doing the essential functions it needs to survive, such as transporting sugars or uh, cellular reproduction. And I don't think people realize how common some of these issues are. I had planted a tree in my own yard, and it was healthy at the time of planting, but I noticed earlier this fall that another issue you mentioned, there were two co-dominant branches. So what could something like that, what's the issue there? And by co-dominant, I'm talking about two very tall central leaders that are both basically trying to be the crown of the tree. What kind of problems could that cause if not pruned? Yeah, so same thing with the roots. It's not going to cause problems on day one or day 10 or year one or year five. It causes problems when the tree is most beneficial after it was planted 20, 30 years ago. So when we're talking about co-dominant stems, when we're talking about two leaders that are growing neck and neck with each other, they usually have a very narrow branch angle. Uh, looks more like a V than a U uh, if you're looking at the branch angle. And that means it's very weak. So when we do get these strong winds that Kansas is known for, or we get some ice storms or we get some snow, that's an area that the tree can fail. Uh, and if the tree fails, especially when we're talking about community forestry, we're not talking about just a dead branch falling off a tree in the middle of the woods. We're talking about a dead branch falling. And this can be, when the, like I said, when the tree's 80 years old. So you're talking about something bigger than four inches all the way up to 30 plus inches in diameter. That branch, who knows what it's going to fall on? Is it going to fall on your roof of your house? Is it going to fall on your car? I mean, heck, is it going to fall on someone walking by? Uh, underneath it. So when we're in the community setting, we're trying to prune trees in a way and create a structure that makes them strong, less likely to fail, and can try to set them up for success in the future. So really what you're saying is this tree pruning that you're doing maybe in the first one to seven years that you have that tree in the landscape, that's something that could impact it for the entire life of the tree. And certainly, you know, if you're talking about a homeowner for the entire time you're at the property, could save car damage, home damage, and even personal injury. Yeah, save all that stuff and also create a healthier tree that will be around for a lot longer. 
Uh, once a tree fails and a large limb like that breaks off, you're more likely to get decay in the tree. And a term that our first health specialist uses, uh, you know, it may start the toilet bowl of death, where the tree will start decreasing in health and vigor, decay will get into it, more insects and disease problems. And, you know, it's nice seeing newly trees planted, but those newly trees, they're not giving us all the benefits that we want, such as energy conservation, uh, wildlife habitat, just, you know, general aesthetics. What we really want to see is these young trees become 100-year-old trees uh, that have a lot of the benefits. Uh, the larger the tree, the more benefits you get, the more shade it provides. And that's what we're, we're lo really looking for when we're talking about reducing heat island effects and trying to provide all the benefits community forestry does. Absolutely. So when an individual is shopping for a new tree, so you want to plant something new in the landscape, and you ideally you don't want to pick a tree that would have some of these obvious defects because it's going to be work for you. So when you're selecting a tree, what should that canopy look like? What should that root ball look like if you could just find the perfect specimen? So the perfect specimen would be something that's not root-bound, something that doesn't have good on your roots, so you don't have to save off the roots uh, to figure that out. You know, when you pull it out of the container, it's a little bit harder with ball on burlap, but uh, you kind of see the root ends. They look fresh. They, they're not all gray in color and dingy looking. Uh, they may even be white in colors, some of the roots. Uh, you can see the ends of the roots coming out. Uh, as you move your way up the trunk of the tree, uh, you have a nice trunk flare. Uh, so it doesn't look like a telephone pole being stuck. The grade of the soil on the root ball uh, is adequate, which means you want to see the first primary root O2 where it meets the trunk, kind of right at the surface level of where the root ball ends and kind of the open air begins. Uh, you don't want to see any damage to the trunk. You don't want to see cankers. You don't want to be, see scrapes. You just want to see a nice trunk that's healthy without any damage to it. Uh, then as you go your way up from there, you want to make sure it has good branch angles. Uh, so they're wide. They're not narrow. Uh, they have good spacing. So branches aren't crossing. You want to have, a, you know, if you're buying a tree in the summertime with the leaves on it, it should have leaves on the tree. There shouldn't be a bunch of dead branches, b dead trigs, uh, that you're like, well, why is there not a leaf there? And it's summertime and all the other trees have leaves. So that's something to keep in mind. You don't want something that has leaves that are eaten or other insect problems. And then you want to have one strong main central leader uh, just to promote a healthy tree. Granted, some of these smaller trees, some of these smaller shrubs like lilac, uh, they may have multiple stem, a multi-stem bush, uh, the smaller the tree is going to be at its mature size, the less proper structure is important. But if you're planting a locust or an oak or a maple or something that, you know, gets more than 15 feet tall, 10 feet tall, you want to focus on just having one main strong central trunk. So you brought up a really good point it's probably very important to research the type of tree you're putting in the landscape because you might not have the same parameters of a 20-foot tree that you would have versus an 80-foot tree. 
what would be some resources somebody could use in selecting the right tree for their location? So there's a saying, right tree, right place. So kind of look at the space that is in the site. Uh, do you have overhead hazards or overhead objects such as telephone poles or electrical wires? If so, you don't want a tree that's going to get 50 feet tall. You want a tree that's going to be 10, 15 feet tall. Um, how much space do you have away from the building you're planting it is another important thing to consider. Uh, also, is there visual things that you either want to screen or you don't want to screen? Uh, say you're planting a row of trees from the house uh, towards the road, and it's just a one, one direction road or like one lane road. It's not an intersection, and you want a privacy screen. Well, I would probably plant an evergreen, something that's going to have leaves year-round. Uh, if I'm planting a tree on a corner of an intersection, I'm going to go the opposite way. Uh, I'm going to plant something that doesn't have low-hanging branches, something that's not going to obscure the sight lines of oncoming traffic or stop signs. Uh, another thing to think about is what's the purpose of the tree? What are you using it for? If you're trying to use it for reducing the energy consumption of your house for heating and cooling, I would plant a deciduous tree. Because then in the summertime, you have leaves that are going to intercept the sunlight, uh, make your house cooler, promote a lot of shade. But then in the wintertime, when it's colder and you're running your heat, now your air conditioning, uh, it's going to not have any leaves on it. It's going to allow the sunlight to come and warm up your deck, maybe melt the snow on it and uh, prevent it from turning a south-facing area to a shaded north, you know, a shaded area that acts more like a north-facing area. A lot of really important considerations and definitely something good to be familiar with your site. Yeah, and if you need species recommendations, uh, I would go to our Kansas Forest Service website. Uh, we do have preferred tree species for each district, for each region of the state. Uh, that'll provide some insight, and it'll also provide you know characteristics of the tree, whether they're good for alkaline soils or moist soils, uh, even you know the general size of the tree. Uh, so there's a lot of resources out there that we provide and that you can find other places about how big is a tree going to get, what's it going to look like, uh, and what kind of sites would it do well in. And I guess another thing to think about would be how messy of a tree you want. Uh, there's some trees that do produce loud sea pads, such as catalpa and locusts, that some homeowners don't like uh, because they feel like they're messy and there's some other trees that, you know, insects really love, and they'll produce what's called honeydew, uh, which insects will excrete. And, uh, you know, if your deck's underneath it or you're parking your car underneath it, it may put some sticky substances on those objects, which if you're a neat freak, you may want to look at something more like a maple or something that uh, doesn't have such big seed pads or isn't known to produce that honeydew secretion such as elms. So today we're really pulling out young tree pruning just from tree pruning. Why is there such a difference? Why can't we just talk in general about pruning? What's so special about young trees? So young trees, it's just you have a large window of opportunity to promote the proper structure. So if, say, you don't get the absolute best specimen from the nursery, maybe you get a second tier one, uh, you can correct a lot of those defects, hopefully, through young structural tree pruning and kind of planning for the future. So it's almost like 
when you start your career in the workforce and you want to build a good retirement plan so it pays off in the future, that's why it's similar with young tree pruning. We're trying to set it up so the tree is healthy and can have a long future uh, when it's most beneficial. I think that's a great analogy. You're really planning for the future with the young tree, whereas an older tree, you're probably removing hazards a lot of the time. So what type of pruning cuts should a homeowner expect to perform on a young tree? You want to look at it from a structural issue, uh, pointing out the defects. And that's something that I could go on for 45 minutes, an hour and a half, two hours about all the different tree defects and why they're bad and what to do to prevent them. I would say, you know, dead branches, weak branch angles, narrow branch attachments, co-dominant leaders, branches that are rubbing on each other. Those are all things you want to be aware of and mitigate through pruning cuts. Um, you know, if the branch is small enough that you can just use some bypass shears, then you, you know, you don't really need to worry about the three-step pruning cut. If you're removing some of the larger branches that, you know, the pruning shears won't cut through, uh, you may want to think about using the three-cut pruning cut uh, with a silky handsaw or other handsaws just because if you don't, the branch, the bulk of the branch can actually strip down as that branch is falling and creating a bigger problem than what you were trying to mitigate. Uh, great thing about small small tree pruning is you probably don't need any power saws. You could probably just do it with a set of pruning saws and a handsaw, a foldable handsaw, and that's all you really need probably for the first 15 years of that tree's life. Uh, once you start getting into pole saw territory and cutting through trees with branches more than four inches in diameter, that that's worrisome. Uh, all the branches, all your cuts would be in stuff that's three inches in diameter or less, and that's just to promote CODOT, compartmentalization of decaying trees, uh, promote the wood around the branch attachment that you're removing to grow and kind of seal off the internal tree to the outside environment. And is there a time of year that people should be looking at doing this type of pruning? It really depends on what you're pruning for. Uh, if you're pruning apple trees or fruit producing trees or trees that you really like the flowers of, that gets a bit more complicated. Uh, straightforward, if you're just doing preventative pruning, I really like to do it in February just because once that's done, when you get March and April coming around, the tree's going to start producing leaves, and it's just going to give it the most amount of time over the year to produce that wood around the wound uh, to prevent decay and other future problems. Uh, but if, you know, a big windstorm comes through and you see a bunch of broken branches and broken tops, I wouldn't necessarily leave them and wait for February to come around. I would address them as it comes up. Excellent. Now, you mentioned power tools, and I always get nervous when I hear one of my neighbors fire up a chainsaw. At what point would you recommend somebody call an arborist, which we always like to refer people to our Kansas certified arborist, versus something that they can take care of themselves? Is there a guide that people could follow? Uh, you know, there's not a whole bunch of guide to follow. You know, a lot of people, they like to do things on their own and be self-sufficient, especially if you're in 
some of the more rural areas of Kansas where we may not have certified arborists or, you know, a 10-minute drive away, or especially an area where you don't have three of them where you can really bid out the job and, you know, find the best deal and the most experience to do it. But uh, if you're if you're thinking about using a ladder, you know, you might need to call an arborist. Uh, if you think chaps are just something cowboys wear and you're using a chainsaw, you might need to call an arborist. Uh, you know, what? another thing that chaps are, that's PPE. So if you have PPE and you're thinking about your high school gym class, uh, you might need to call an arborist. If you think lion's tailing is a type of feline behavior, you might need to call an arborist. If any time you're going to use a ladder to climb a tree to cut your branch, you might need to call an arborist. If you don't, please film it. Put it on YouTube. I love watching those chainsaw tree trimming fail videos. Uh, I know a lot of other people do too. You know, that's why you might need to call an arborist so you don't end up there. At any time you start to use a circular saw or other woodshop tools to make pruning cuts, you might need to call an arborist. If you're looking at that old rope in the corner of your garage and you're like, man, I could really use this trim in this tree, you might need to call an arborist. If you plan to use your partner to pull on limbs and direct the limb fall or the tree fall away from your house or other valuable objects, you might need to call an arborist. Yeah, so there's a few different reasons you might want to call an arborist. That is a great list, Matt. I think everybody's really going to appreciate it. Uh, but we really do. We want you to stay safe. We want you to keep all your fingers and toes. And I think people think just because trees are in their yard that they're not inherently dangerous. And of course they are. Um, so I love that list a lot. I will make sure to link a list of Kansas certified arborists in the show notes um, because we really do. We want people to be able to be empowered to make decisions and to take care of the trees and their landscapes. But knowing when to call a professional is a very, very important piece of information. And I think Matt has given us some great tips for figuring that out. Well, as we conclude today, you know, pruning is a really critical part of young tree development. But what are some other things while trees are newly established in the landscape, simple things that people can do to ensure their long-term health? Some damage I see to a tree, especially when they're young and it can affect it long-term, would be mower and string trimmer damage. So by mulching around your tree or not having grass go directly up to your tree, that would probably save some long-term damage because anytime you're breaking the bark, you're opening up the internal tree, especially the part of the tree that produces a lot of sugars, which insects find attractive. Uh, you open that up to the dangers of the outside environment. So I would recommend mulching your tree, uh, three to four inches of mulch. You don't want to build it up, have like a mulch volcano because that's going to cause more problems. Uh, but You'll want to use mulch or some other thing, some other substance to prevent weeds from growing that you would have to take care of them. Uh, you know, if you do spray Roundup on the weeds around the trees, that can affect trees, especially honey locusts, because they're part of the legume family. They're super susceptible to herbicide damage, and especially repeated herbicide damage just weak, weakens and destroys the vigor of the tree. Uh, 
So yeah, just don't hit the trunk of the tree with your lawnmower and your weed racker. Try to use some mulch around it. If you're using weed barrier fabric, keep in mind that tree's going to grow bigger and bigger. And so eventually that fabric's going to need to be cut away, uh, you know, every few years. So that fabric doesn't, you know, cut off not circulation, but you can think of that way. Cut off the circulation of the tree, uh, girdle the tree just like a root would do or uh, someone with a chainsaw or weed rocker would do around the base of it. I'm so glad you said that. And talking about mulch, you know, that weed suppression can really help with those early years, just having a nice healthy tree that's not having to compete. But one mistake I do see a lot, if we could just mention it at the end here, is mulching with rock. Yeah, mulching with rock's not ideal. Uh, it causes a lot of problems. I'm not exactly sure why. I think part of it has to do with the heat retention and then the quick cooling off of the rock. I think rock is actually pretty heavy too, so that could cause some problems. Another thing that we see is people that want to like kind of build planter boxes around their trees, and so the tree's already established, and then they come in and they try to change the grade, uh, maybe by using those stone planters and making them you know, four, four or five levels high and then putting soil and flowers all on top of that once the tree's established or you're basically burying the trunk. And that's also uh, a no-go, not something you want to be doing. Thank you, Matt, so much for the information today. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, just uh, plant trees, take care of trees, and just remember when you plant a tree, it's not just sticking it in the ground, it's watering it after you plant it multiple times a month even, and then uh, taking care of it so it has success in the long term. And, you know, there's that saying that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, the second best time to plant one is today. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for being on. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to check out those show notes for all the resources that we mentioned and good information on how to help you with your newly planted trees. This has been Season 4, Episode 1 of the Kansas Canopy Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. Please make sure to subscribe and join us next month.